Bad leaders are everyone's worst nightmare, giving you the ultimate playbook to lead, inspire, and grow your team. Better tech leadership powered by BrainHub. So uh, you are an experienced advisor and a catalyst for innovators, startups, and technology companies. You root experiences in technology field, but you've worked in multiple industries and roles, focusing on strategy, team building, leadership, and technology consulting, among other things. Super happy to have you here. With that out of the way, uh, let's talk a bit about the types of companies you work with in terms of size, maturity, branding strategy, and any other characteristics. Yeah, let's do that. Thanks for the invitation. Like most of the companies are really startups. Sometimes they are also corporates. When, for example, a corporate acquired a startup, but most of them are early stage or... Early stage? Uh, prior to product market fit or... Um, they're on the edge to that, let's say okay. like this. They are usually a series A, this kind okay. of... So there's something area. going on, but it's not like... Exactly, stuff. like they, they, they found maybe a spot, they're not 100% sure it looks like it's right. They're looking for a bigger funding. And then usually I jump in to help them to structure the whole thing better on the tech department because they see already they will scale uh, mm -hmm. or they have this need of growth and scaling. And then I come in as an expert for this field and then help them to set structures, processes, try to find the right people, have a strategy at all for the department, for example, often. And yeah, it's super interesting because it's a shift of how people work. Like in the beginning, you're very, um, yeah, you, you are innovative, right? Like you, you do different things. You try to find the spot. That means you try a lot of different things. Um, and at some point you found it. And that means you need to be very focused and structure this out, make this scalable and stuff like mm -hmm. that. And most of the people don't know how to do this. Like they still stuck in the, um, kind of, work way how, how they did it before. Like they try to do everything at the same okay. time, which doesn't work. Um, and that's, that's mainly the focus, which I'm working. Okay. Getting ready to scale, introducing processes, strategies, mm -hmm. hiring people as mm -hmm. well. So it's uh, all connected. Yeah. It's all connected. And, but you mentioned that you identify and implement fit for purpose solutions. Yeah. You look at every startup in a different way. Yeah. Like. I mean, that's mainly the case when they are unsure if they have really a solution which works on the market. If they don't see enough traction from the market, um, then I jump in and help them to figure out, okay, is there maybe, can we tune the solution in a way or does it need to be focused in a different direction to pivot it and something like that? Um, that's a bit earlier usually when I do that. Okay. And at work, how much are you dependent on data and how much on data? intuition and, you know, experience? Uh, no, data is a, is a big point, but it's a combination of both, I would say, because in this kind of early stage, you often even don't have so much data or it's very in intensively. Yeah, it's just a lot of work to get all the data, do the analytics around that. And if you have some people who have already experience in a specific field or industry, then they their data okay. is in their head, maybe. Okay. So if you have that, that that's often a benefit. But I try to do a combination in that stage, um, okay. because as I said, like to be focused fully on data is is often not possible. It would be better because, like, I believe you can like, make much better decisions if you have the right yeah, data. Yeah, sure. Kind of focus on one or the other. Exactly. Yeah. Sure.
what is the situation right now in terms of raising funding? Mm -hmm. It's uh, it's fluctuating, I guess, yeah. over the years. I'm happy to hear your view on that. Yeah, I think it's it's. Um, I mean, it's definitely tricky for everyone, from what I see, especially with these kind of news about Silicon Valley Bank and stuff yeah. like that. So everyone is, I think, a bit even frustrated about the situation, um, especially the startups who just started because they're looking for funding and stuff like that. But on the other side, like I um, have a colleague, I'm doing some kind of pitch days, like we organize a pitch day. It's a, you can think of it a bit like a shark tank or something like mm -hmm. that, but a private one, you know, it's closed and it's not like here in Berlin or uh, yeah. in Berlin. And we try to do it from time to time in London. Um, uh, but it's a closed session. That means like we, um, select the investors and we select the startups where we think they are a good match mm -hmm. and they have really time to talk and discuss. You know, it's not like the elevator pitch for five or 15 minutes okay. or something. And then it's done. They have really over an hour time to really discuss, the, uh, dive deeper into topics and stuff like that. So, um, and so in this kind of sessions, I really see like, Investors are still interested, but they are much more focused. So they, they have a really deeper look and they appreciate to have really much more time to better understand if they, um, would like to invest in this company. Much more time and fewer startups as well. Fewer startups. So it's pre-selected from okay, us. We're okay. scouting more or less, you know, like yeah. it's a bit like we're trying to figure out what is the best fit for this kind of investor, you know, like what, what, what kind of, um, uh, Startups is he looking for, which kind of area he wants to invest. And then we do a full kind of internal, um, yeah, analysis about the startup, like on two sides, on marketing sales, like is it structured there enough? My colleague is much more into that topic. And I'm doing a kind of tech DD, like tech religions mm -hmm. to figure out what the situation there is. Often we help them even, you know, often we help them to, um, give them kind of structure so that it's better prepared for the final talk with the investors. Okay. And you, you, you said, you said you, you focus on, on process. The part that you focus the most are it's technology process or product and technology. Yes. Product process. Yeah. It's about how to develop mainly how to develop. Okay. What are the top three things you look at? Yeah. So first of all, I take a look. Do they have anything in place at all? Or do they have too much in place? You know, like, yeah. that's not good. Um, and then I have a look at the team and how they want to work because not every team wants to work with Scrum or Kanban and it's not good for them sometimes. So I try to find with the team together the best kind of way how they want to work. Okay. Most of the time it's some kind of Kanban solution, Scrum Kanban solution, some kind of regular meetings, but the tricky part is really to not make it too strict, like working in a corporate. So there's still some kind of flexibility, okay. but still have the right conversations in place, you know, like the right recurring conversations, like product meetings. So that product and tech are regularly in conversation. Um, and you don't create the silos, for example. Okay. Uh, do you often observe over engineering in the startups you uh, work with? Um, or it's rarely? No. I mean, I see it sometimes, but I would not say often. Um, maybe in some kind of specific fields, but usually it's more the case that they have to be fast and they just 
prototype things and then they have too less time to really, um, yeah, create a good solution and think of it a bit through. Um, over engineering happens usually if you have this kind of separation between product and technology because then the technology people are really just focused on the technology okay. and then they dive deeper into what else can be in place and then it becomes um, over engineering. Okay. You have a general philosophy about the test automation in an environment where you have to pivot really fast mm -hmm. or innovate really fast. There are different approaches. Yeah, I'm just about I mean, I can tell you how I did it. I worked in a company that was the one where I became a director at some point. So it was the biggest growth in my career. And I was responsible for developing an AI engine, like a natural language processing with a research team together. So I, my focus was more on the scaling than on the AI. Um, but it was a pretty central um, system. So it, in the beginning, it was very necessary to be fast and set this up. So I didn't have fast in terms of performance or delivery, delivering it. Uh, both. both. I mean, the first step was delivery, but then the performance, because it was clear that the system needs to scale and mm -hmm. I needed to set it up in a way so that it can, can scale without limit. Um, it has to process a lot of PDF files and read and understand the text. And yeah, so in the beginning, I didn't use any kind of tests, maybe some kind of small unit tests. And then I realized, okay, at some point, so it was not test driven development. I didn't wrote the test before and then wrote the code. I wrote the code, I wrote, wrote everything what was necessary to um, happen in the system. And then I realized I'm so much busy with, does that function? Does it have an effect on this kind of module and things like that? And especially in the night, you know, you try to sleep after work and then you're like, shit, what, all this stuff is coming up into your head. And then I started, okay, let's write unit tests really, like as much as I can, integration tests. Mm. I did this, I had around about 80, 85% coverage and then it was fine. And because like when you, I think 100% is never necessary, but if when you have the core functionalities covered, Maybe there are some kinds of, kind of smaller bugs around it, but these you can quickly, easily fix usually. So, and the thing is like, often people just write just random tests to get this kind of code coverage. The tricky part is really to write the good tests and write tests which make really sense so that, for example, somebody from outside who is looking at the test can fully understand what the code is about. Mm -hmm. So you don't need any description. Um, so the testing part is not only just writing tests, it's really try to write uh, the right test. So it helps you really to get a higher quality. I see a lot of people sometimes just randomly even writing an empty body, you know, like the test without anything inside of it, mainly um, just to have the code covered, which is sure. not, doesn't make sense to do. Absolutely. For me, this it's a difficult trade-off especially prior to product market fit situation, mm -hmm. is that you want some reliability, you want to deliver fast, you want to have short lead time, automated pipelines, etc. Yeah. But the scope is so uncertain. I mean, the, the future scope, but also 
the solution itself, you have to still, you know, validate it and uh, continuously iterate on it. And what I'm trying to get it is establish some sort of minimum or the baseline of the tests or automation that enables you to deliver fast, but you're not over-engineering the, you know, yeah. automation part. You're talking mainly about one of the first solutions, right? Like mm -hmm. version, the alpha beta version, yeah, or yeah, yeah, the version one or something. Yeah. No, that's, that's true. I see it like this because like, I think one of the, I think everyone in the startup scene is also saying this from time to time. Like the first version, which you bring out on the market, you should be a bit ashamed of it. Yeah. You know? Like, so it, it, it should, it doesn't need to be perfect. And because you need to be fast and you need to test it more or less on the market to figure out, is that something what people are interested in or not? Um, Hide the ego inside the pocket. <laughs> well. I mean, if you think of some kind of solutions, you know, I don't know, ChatGPT or, or what was the uh, Club, Clubhouse? Was it Clubhouse? This audio app? Yeah. In the beginning, I had a lot of um, bugs, you know, like, but still people, if you have the spot, if you have the market fit, people will use it and you will fix the functionality on the way. I want to take a step back and uh, talk about your observations of the leaders or founders that you work yeah. with. Uh, can you list what qualities of or traits of those people set apart the startups that go on to achieve, you know, long-term success from the ones that struggle? I think the ones which are really successful, they have on the management level, they have kind of separation between their roles, like who's more focused, for example, on product technology, sales, marketing, this stuff, like it's really good separated and they have really good communication of the, on the management level. Um, and additionally, like they trust also the, the management, which they hire, um, or also external people like me, for example, mm -hmm. right? Like they, they bring people in where they know, okay, I, I'm not an expert in that field. I, I need someone who can um, help me to get better in that field. Um, and the people who struggle are usually the ones who have this kind of uh, management style. Maybe it's a classical management style to be able to know everything and decide about everything, you know, which doesn't work at, an, at a specific time in, in, or in a specific phase of the shop. Maybe in the beginning it works, but at some point it doesn't work anymore. And to give away this responsibility and have this trust to other people is, I think, very hard. It's also often an ego issue for people, mm -hmm. but I think these are the, the biggest issue which I currently see. Were there any startups that you turned down? Um, usually these are the startups where I have the feeling, okay, I can't help them. You know, it's not necessarily based on that topic. Um, it's more, about um, what exactly they want to try to achieve, especially for example, if it's if it's a very early stage startup, then often I don't do it because I have the feeling that first of all it, it's expensive for them to pay me, so I'm in advising them more or less like try to find first of all the market fit instead of having deeper view on how the strategy and. Uh, technology um, processes and stuff like this is working. 
before you take some money and hire someone like me to help you with that because scaling is not a topic for them yet. So they need to really find a way and find the, the market. Mm, yeah. And there are also sometimes other kind of industries which I don't want to work with, you know, like military area, for example, or something. It's just not interesting to me. Um, yeah, on the management level, it's, it's usually not like that because like I can help them and train them also to better understand what I explained just before that you need to give things away, especially when you're growing. You need to separate on the management level. You need to give away your control. Yeah. Is it particularly important in terms of scaling, I suppose? Yeah, definitely. Definitely. Um, you, because you're the bottleneck otherwise, you know, you're like the single point of failure. You can never go on vacation because everyone needs always mm. some kind of decisions and uh, you need to answer some questions. Um, and if you have a good separated responsibilities on the management level, it's clear who to ask, first of all, uh, for everyone in the team. Um, and you can be focused really on organizing the management board as a CEO, for example. Okay. Like your responsibility is not to doing sales. Um, I mean, maybe sometimes it's also doing sales marketing, something like But often the main focus should be around how do I uh, manage this kind of small management board, management um, team, so that everything else below and in their departments works. And um, it's not so much about taking decisions and telling them what to do. It's more about what do I need to give them so that they can execute fully, you know, that they can freely decide how to organize the technology team. Because I, as a CEO, for example, I'm maybe not so, um, doesn't have a, like, maybe I don't have so much deep knowledge about technology. That's often the case, right? Um, by the way, that's another issue. Like. Some, I see often management boards where they don't have a CTO. Like it's mainly just sales marketing operation. Business mm -hmm. So it's very business driven. And I mean, it, it can work if it's not a technology product, but most of the companies I'm working with, they, it's a software solution. Say it's every company is a technology company. Yeah? Usually, yes. The, the question is always how, how much focus on technology they have, right? Like sometimes, Technology is like a service, and sometimes technology is the core business. And I think if it's the core business and you don't have anyone on the management level who um, can really fully understand what's happening there, then it's tricky. Like, especially when you look at all the bigger corporates, um, all the founders or the CEOs are originally engineers, like Microsoft, Google. Um, there, but in Google, it's uh, originally the Chrome engineer like develop Chrome, for example. Um, and I think it is important to have some kind of basic understanding of technology if you want to lead a technology. Sure, sure. So you said, you mentioned separation, you mentioned trust in the management, trusting and giving away, giving away control. Mm -hmm. uh, is there anything else? The ego. The ego. The ego yeah, is very important. Yeah. The ego is the most trickiest part. Yeah, let's talk yeah. about that. That's philosophical a bit, a bit, but, uh, yeah. what's the balance here? Uh, so that it's uh, productive, but not destroyful? Yeah. Like to put your ego down means in the end, exactly like to give other people a responsibility to say, okay, 
I'm not an expert anymore in this field. There's someone who's better than me. Mm -hmm. Like to accept that, <laughs> it's often very hard. And to say, okay, there's someone better than me and I want him to t take these decisions. Um, that's for a lot of people um, tricky because most of the, from what I see, most of the people, they hire people to tell them what to do, to like a bit like lemmings, you know, like, yeah, please execute. Um, but that is not how it should be from my perspective, you know, especially in this kind of early state. It's better really to hire the people so that they can really execute and fully go and fulfill themselves in their role, you know, like if you're really a high motivated person for technology, for product or something like that, and you give them really responsibility to um, execute and give them a budget and all of that stuff so that they can do everything. And then you see also how they are blooming, you know, like they're, they're growing, they're really um, developing themselves even further. And usually it's not that one person is growing, like the, you grow with the company. The company grows, you grow. It's a combination of all of these things. Sure. sure. What about you know, separation, trust, ego? What about hiring and letting people go? What's yeah. your approach to those things? In a startup. Yeah, like, I, hiring is pretty key. Like, you need the right people because they are building this solution for you in the end. And, um, I tried always in the, especially in the beginning to not hire so many junior people. Mm -hmm. Like, to have at least some kind of experience. Um, because for junior people or people who are, coming directly from the university, you need to take them a bit by the hand. That's for later stages. Exactly. Like I, I, if you, if you have your market fit, for example, like you're doing a series A round, then there's no issue to hire them. But especially in the first, in the beginning, like you're three, four, five people or something like this, and you need to set up something from scratch, then you need to be fast and it's better to from my experience, at least, it's better to work um, with people who can fully execute by themselves. And, okay. Uh, don't need someone to take you by the hand and uh, explain to you in which direction you should go. So this is something what I often do. And as soon as you have a specific size in the company and you have enough senior people or uh, people who have enough experience, then it's easy to hire some kind of junior people because like junior people have also one kind of huge benefit. They have a different perspective, you know, they have like, they come in and they have fresh I'm eyes. A bit unbiased, exactly. a bit more unbiased. Exactly. And they don't care much, you know, like they don't care much about how you did things in the past. And that's important because they bring always some kind of new, fresh uh, ideas also in, which for example, a lot of senior people sometimes don't bring in. Because they have already the, their kind of frame about how they worked in the past. So it's interesting for me to have this kind of combination. First of all, cross-functional, like different kind of functionalities bring them together, but also different kind of ages, cultures and stuff like this. So the diversity topic and um, hiring aspect is pretty important for me also. Okay. Do you look for different mindsets or... You know, personality issue traits when hiring for startups, a scale up or, or um, a corporate. 
Yeah, in general, yes. For me, it's important that they have the, or that they share the same kind of vision. Like, they want to go into the same direction, um, achieve something together. Um, but it's good if they have different perspectives on that, okay. you know? Uh, I mean, you have that anyways when you have, for example, a salesperson and a technology person looking at the same topic. But it's also good to have people from, yeah, from, from, from a total different kind of culture, for example, a different kind of age, who see things like in a different way. How do you know when it's time to let a person go? And what factors do you consider before making that decision? Yeah, um, it's very individual, but most of the time, it's when I have the feeling this person sucks. Like, like is there a develop development? Development. Approach? They stuck with themselves okay. somehow. They have the feeling they don't have a spot anymore in the company. Then it's always important for me to talk to them and try to figure out what would be the best solution for them. And often it's not just to let them go. Often it's also just like they need an additional thing. Maybe they need to have some space to develop them further. Maybe they need to have some space to identify what kind of next version of themselves do they want to be in the next year, you know? Because like a lot of people, also me, for example, we're always climbing the ladder up, like you become a junior, senior engineer, uh, team lead, uh, maybe a director, VP, C CTO. And then uh, it goes always up. It's this classical way, but often it's also interesting to have a look on not only technology and have a look on, okay, what is product doing? Because I'm working very close with product. That's in the end what I did and became more or less an all-rounder and catalyst. So to have a bigger, a wider uh, understanding of the whole um, company and the product instead of being an expert in one field and just going for that. It's, it's also, I mean, it's, it's not for everyone um, interesting. For sure. For me, it was interesting to go more wider. Um, but for a lot of people, it's also good to be an expert in one field and they go deeply into AI technology, for example, BI or whatever, you know, like infrastructure. There are so many topics which are super interesting. But I think you need to have some space and time during your development to understand that and identify that for yourself. What do you want? Um, and I try to give them that space so that they can decide together. Sure. And often, to be honest, like if someone really like feels like, okay, this is not the spot for me and I can't find a place in this company, then they look for something else and um, it's not necessary to really fire them or something like this. Like, you find a solution for them, you give a good recommendation for their future and then you go different ways and often it's the case that we see each other again. You know? Seems like you, you know, uh, put a lot of empathy uh, towards uh, that situation. Yeah, I think it's pretty important. Like I, I had some kind of good and also bad experiences in in my past, and I think it's important for the development because, like, if you have really like a lot of negative experience in that kind of um, situation, then it can um, create a lot of damage, also, you know, like to this person and also to their development. And you don't want to be busy with that. You, you, you know, like you want to go on. And as I said, you see usually not just once in life, you know, right? You see the people again. 
What are the most common delusions, misconceptions, or biases that you see among the startup founders? Um, that's a good question. Right, it's hard to say because it's it's very different. I would say um, the best misconceptions. Is there a specific field where you, um, where this question is focused about? No, no. Let, let, me, let me give an example. When I was starting a company, yeah, I thought like uh, you can run everything without a process, and it's like it's about you know people having great people on board and everything will you know, turn out great. It was, it was a misconception. I think for me, okay. I, I, like I learned that you know it's not scalable, uh, or yeah, you get mad eventually. I mean. Yeah. Uh, insane at some point yeah i see i i don't think it's like the, the the thing which i have in mind is maybe something which people are not cautious about like they don't exactly know that they have this kind of misconception but in the beginning it's it's the same topic what i was saying before like in the beginning of a startup you try to do different things right like you're like a you're a bit like a lab like you try to make experiences in different kind of fields to really find them uh, market and then imagine you open a restaurant right you don't know what in this kind of location works like, can i sell pizza can i say sushi can i say hamburgers so you try all of these things out and you offer everything <clears throat> have you ever eaten in a restaurant which offers sushi hamburger and Indian food it's like that right like nothing of that really tastes very well if you offer everything but if you found that Okay, in that region, everybody is crazy about sushi and you just go for sushi and you let go the hamburger and you let go the pizza, then you can be very focused and deliver something which is really quality-wise on a high level and good food. Um, but, and I think this is something, this kind of step, a lot of people don't really do. Like, they try to still add the next Indian res uh, Indian recipe, or I don't know, like like they they sure. they think they have okay, they found now one one thing, like they found their sushi, their their perfect recipe for that, and instead of scaling that and making this big, and they go after everything else. Exactly, like I think it's important to create one vertical, and as soon as you have really deep knowledge about this vertical, you scale it and it functions and works, and you're known for that. Then you can think of a second vertical or the third vertical, um, which is often around that field. You know, like when you think of Google, like they didn't start with Gmail in the beginning, right? They start with the search and then they added additional things step by step. And I think for most of the successful companies, also in the um, startup scene in Berlin, you see that like, they do it step by step. And I think this is a good approach. And a lot of um, Founders don't see that. Like they try to really do everything at they're the same time. They're super tempted to do. The reason is because they're very often they're often very um, sales focused. Like they talk to different kind of customers, and every customer is telling you something else. Okay. You know, the one is saying I want that, the other thing is saying I want that, and to really like to to, to boil that down and put it in in into one product is also the task of a really good CPO. Um, so. Yeah, I think that's that's often 
very often the case too. Do you think it might be related to, you know, fear of missing out or on some opportunities or loss aversion, you know, because you have to, you know, yeah. uh, put something else on the hook? And, yeah. It's, it's on the one side that because you, you're struggling, right? Like you always have to, um, especially in the early stage, you need to have income. You need to have recurring income. You need to come, uh, have new projects, new customers, new clients to cover all the costs and not be too much dependent on uh, investors, for example. And I can understand that. And then often it goes also into the direction of customizations for, for companies, for, for your, for your clients that you, set up specific kind of solutions just for them but it's short-term thinking you know like long term it will create so much more issues for you because you need to manage that solution and then you realize okay i have five different products but i want to just build one you know and then you need i don't know five different people to maintain the solution mm. and then again it's not scalable like sure. you had to you have to get rid of that at some point it's maybe good to do this if you see, okay, I need to do this right now because it's necessary for the business. I need the money, but you need to be aware. Okay. After one or two years, you need to tell this customer, we can't go on with this kind of solution. You have to adapt to the main product, which we have. And I always recommend to not do it again. Like, because I have the feeling then that's also not your customer, you know, like this is. A customer for someone else. Not it's your not ideal. Exactly. Customer. That's not so. the right customer for you. I've got a more personal question for you, it, uh, which is how your approach to leadership evolved throughout the years. Like, how different is it from 10 years before? Like, me personally? Yeah. Um, oh, it's very different. Like, 10 years before? I mean, 10 years before. I came to Berlin and I was a senior software engineer mm -hmm. and I was very much focused on technology. I mean, I studied management before and stuff like this. For me, it was always clear somehow that I have also interested in other fields. Mm. But I did a lot of experiences in how to become a CTO or how to become um, someone to lead other teams, for example, bigger teams. and. It was very helpful because I understood at some point you can't do really both at the same time. Like I tried and it was so stressful. I had 14 people who directly reporting to me and you realize at some point you're the whole time in meetings, like during the whole week, you are mainly in meetings and one-on-ones to have the conversations and the communication with the people because it's pretty important to be close to, to the engineers and, um, understand if they have everything what they need and um, help them to be successful. But if you have so many people, it's nearly impossible to take care of anything else. So mm -hmm. I couldn't be at some point anymore so much responsible for developing software myself. And in that kind of step, I understood also, okay, I need to do one thing right now. Like I need to be focused. I need to give the responsibilities away. Something for architecture, for some, sometimes I still have a look on that. But if I have a senior um, architect in the team, I'm happy to leave it for him. You know, also, also infrastructure. In the beginning, for example, I all, often did host the infrastructure topics and let the um, engineers uh, develop the code because, as you might know, it was pretty and it's still find 
to, to find good um, DevOps people, site reliability engineers, it's pretty difficult still. And then I was always on that topic, you know, like to have um, the control of that. And it's also, again, related somehow to be the bottleneck or my ego to say, okay, I need to have the main root password for everything and stuff like that. And um, instead of organizing this whole kind of issue, you know, like to um, give responsibility away, still have your kind of control over it. That's definitely necessary, but uh, to let them execute them by themselves. At some point I realized, okay, the only thing what they need me for is now to log in and make something available, you know, like, or give them the password or give them some rights and stuff like that. And if they have that and they can do things by themselves, then that's usually the best solution for them also, you know, they don't even need to bug me and tell me like, oh, hang on, can you please give me this and that? And I, I don't want to be in this situation. And I want to mainly work with people on eye level, you know, so that they can really go for it. And I can be really focused on other things like strategy, the communication to the management, the overall topics, um, which is also more interesting to me. And at that point in my career, I understood, okay, I need to do the switch. Um, yeah, and I created different kind of structures. Um, so in the end, I had only four direct reports, mm -hmm. like one for uh, one consolidated. Sort. Exactly. It was, it was like a group of people, like five people with me together. We were meeting every week, just once. And there were different kind of people from the technology field, like AI, infrastructure, engineer managers. And that was mainly it, you know, like we had also other kind of conversations with product, but that was separated. I've got a final question for you, uh, which is, could you recommend any books, podcasts, obviously, besides this one? Uh, <laughs> other materials that have been helpful to you uh, as yeah. an advisor or a leader? Mm. I mean, there are a lot of books about lean development and stuff like this. Mm -hmm. um, and any particular? Yeah, like the, the, the book which I have in mind is not so much startup related. It was more, it's more a management book to be honest. Like, mm -hmm. um, it's a German book, but I think they have translations in English. It's um, like all the books from Reinhard Reinhard Sprenger, is okay. his name. He was a, um, yeah, a management consultant for all the big DAX companies in Germany. And he has a lot of things which, which helped me to better understand how this kind of organization on the management level works. Um, and he compl uh, compares it, for example, with foot, right? Or, other kind of fields in, 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 in your life, which you can maybe relate to, uh, because it's easy to understand this, you know, like you see something works, for example, in the organization of how to be a trainer for a football team. And you can adapt things in a way for your um, team. So that was really helpful for me. And besides that, um, I, I read and listen to a lot of different kind of podcasts, but it's not like there's a specific podcast which I follow or something like this, or a specific book or author which I follow. They're from time to time just... Diversify your sources. Yeah, yeah. There's from time to time popping up different things, and I try... If it's interesting to me, I have a look at it. And often it's just some 
small articles also coming out, you know? Um, and I think it's related to this kind of fast world. Like you have a lot of posts, you have a lot of articles. And um, sometimes I'm like, okay, maybe I should start to read a whole book again. Uh, yeah, but for now it works like that. And I, it gives me a good overview always of different kind of topic. Um, that was great. Thank you very much. Thank you. Better talk to you. Well, really nice to speak to you. <laughs> Thanks for the question. Yeah. Better Tech Leadership powered by Brain Hub. Follow Les Schick on LinkedIn and subscribe to the Better Tech Leadership newsletter.